Uh, the year Sam was born, uh, he was born in July, and that summer uh, we had a lawn service taking care of our lawn for us. And uh, then Sam came along and we decided to take him up to Michigan uh, for a couple weeks to kind of meet family and friends for the first time. And I noticed when we were getting ready to leave that our lawn was a little bit long uh, to be leaving. But I, was, I said to Cheryl, you know, he's probably, this lawn service company probably just fell a little bit behind and they'll take care of it while we're, while we're gone. Well, that didn't happen. And I found out when we got home that the company had actually gone out of business. Uh, they hadn't let us know. They were out of business. And uh, we'd gotten a bunch of rain while we were gone. And the grass uh, grew and grew and grew. And uh, when I came home uh, from that trip to take Sam to see his family, uh, we had a little notice from the city on our door uh, asking us uh, to keep our lawn mowed or face extreme penalty, even death. Right? No, no, it wasn't that, that much. But, um, and uh, so we got the lawn taken care of, and I, everything was fine. Ended up getting a different uh, service, much more reliable to, to take care of the lawn. But it was a couple months later, I was talking to one of our senior saints around here that has uh, since gone to be with the Lord. Her name was Georgiana. And I was expressing what had happened, and I was expressing my frustration because somebody had turned to sin, right? And uh, I said, man, I wish, I wish whatever neighbor turned us in, I, I wish they would have come to me first. We, we, we could have worked this out. I feel like a good neighbor would have approached us first. And Georgiana just kind of quietly just said, a good neighbor would have mowed your lot for you. And it was the first time I had really kind of thought through this idea of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Right? The, the Bible actually talks quite, about, uh, quite a bit about being a, a good neighbor, but what does it mean and what does it look like to be a good neighbor to the people uh, around us? And we're going to start today with a story. It's actually a story uh, that we covered uh, last year uh, during the pandemic, uh, during our love series. We, we talked about this story, and it was during the reading of the text, uh, when I was up here reading the text, that I first noticed what I want to share with you today. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I never noticed that in my study for that sermon and in all my readings of the text, I'd never noticed this one little element of the story before. And I said, man, I wish I could give myself a do-over. And then I thought, I'm the senior minister of this church. I can give myself a do-over. Uh, and, and so that, that's what today is. Today is my do-over. Uh, and I'll make reference to the sermon I preached last year if you want to uh, have a little more of a, uh, of see what that sermon was, was about. Because th that sermon wasn't incorrect, but just when I noticed this in the text, it's like, man, I want to explore this a little bit more. So here's what happens in our text today. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law uh, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii 
uh, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Here's the part that I notice. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now this guy, as the text says, this guy was all about the law. As a matter of fact, uh, the text goes out of its way to tell us that he was an expert in the law. So he comes to Jesus with a spiritual question from a legal perspective. This is always dangerous, right? When you're looking for the letter of the law, how do I wiggle out of what, I wanna, what, what I'm being held to? to? To approach spirituality in a legal way is almost always a mistake, but that's what he does. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is a rules-based question. Now, I wanted to do a little experiment here and find out what kind of a rules-following crowd we have, all right? And I wanna tell you about a scenario that happened to me just about two weeks ago. The CDC had put out their new guidelines about mask wearing and all of that, but they were quick to say that local businesses and municipalities, uh, they are able to kind of do what they wanna do and you should follow uh, their orders and their credence. So I went to a gas station a couple weeks ago and right on uh, the front of the gas station as you're walking into the store, it said, we are asking all patrons to please wear a mask. So I was like, okay, all right. So I, I went and grabbed my mask and put it on. When I entered the gas station, literally nobody was wearing a mask, <laughs> including those employed by the gas station. So what kind of rules following crowd do we have here? Wear your mask or take it off? <laughs> Right. Let me give you another scenario. We uh, travel up to Michigan several times a year, and there's a section right around Chicagoland that strangely and ridiculously, the speed limit drops to 55. Right? It is, it's really dumb, to be honest. No, no offense to anybody that made that law, but it's a really dumb place to have 55. Nobody goes 55. Uh, they go 75. They go 85. They go 90 plus but they do not go 55. So if you're driving kind of in, in that stretch of road, what do you do? Do you reduce your speed or do you keep up with traffic? I have a feeling, you all look like a rules following crowd. Um, I have a feeling the expert of the law in our story today was a rigid rule follower because you can tell by the, the way he asked the question at the very beginning, what must I do? What must I do to, tell, to inherit eternal life? Jesus, tell me the rules. Tell me the speed limit. Tell me the mask mandate. I will follow the rules. Just tell me what I need to do. And I think it's easy to approach faith this way. Tell, God, just tell me what I need to do to be cool with you. That I can have assurance that you and I are gonna be good in this life and you and I are gonna be good in, in the next. Is there a certain amount you want me to give? Right? Do, do you want me to uh, attend a certain amount of Sundays? Do you want me to teach Sunday school to little kids forever and ever till Jesus returns, amen? What is it that you want me to do? So we are good today and we are good in the future. A, a pastor I follow in Texas, he said people that tend to be rigid rule followers, uh, like this expert of the law, they tend to fall into uh, following five selves. And I thought this was really smart. He said they fall into self-will, that I can do this thing by my own strength and all, all, my own power, I can make it happen. They tend to fall into self-glory, that when I do good, when I follow the law, when I do the righteous thing and make good decisions, I tend to focus more on myself and not on God. 
self-gratification. I tend to be more concerned with myself and my lane and what I'm doing and less concerned with others. Self-righteousness, it says that I can, uh, I, I can and will make myself right with God in this life and the next, it's up to me. Self-sufficiency, I really don't need God's help or anyone else's, I am sufficient. And I love Jesus' response, because I think this guy was wired this way. And because Jesus' response is, you're the expert. Right? You want to know what the law says? You're, you're the expert. How do you read what the law says? And his response causes me to rethink a little bit how much of a rules guy this was, because he actually answers it correctly. And here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and here it is, and love your neighbor as yourself. He seems to understand this on some level, that Christianity is not just about rules, it's about a relationship. Christianity isn't a faith that's all about the law, it is a faith that is all about love. And it's in the context of a loving relationship with our Savior, and a loving relationship with our God, it's in that context that first of all, grace is received. That grace is given in the context of relationship. And Jesus, through our relationship with him, he forgives our sin. He makes us right with our heavenly father in this life and in the next. The truth is, your faith is all about good works, just not yours. Your faith is all about good works, just not yours. They're about the good works that Jesus did to forgive our sin and make us right with our father in this life and the next. And we love him for it. Now, It's also in the context of relationship that the law makes more sense. Because some of you would be tempted to say, Steve, you're saying the faith is not all about law. It's not all about rules. But it seems to me when I read the Bible, there is a lot of law and there is a lot of rules in, in the Bible. How on earth can you say what you're saying? And here's what I want you to understand. We don't obey the law to earn God's love. God already loves us. We obey the law because we love him. And we know he loves us. And obedience flows from our love. Obedience flows from our relationship. Let me prove it. I've given you this example before, so forgive me. I want to use it again. You might be a speeder. All right? Looking at you, I can tell some of you are. Because you're the ones laughing uncomfortably. All right? You're, some, of you, some of you are a speeder. And uh, the state of Illinois has gone out of their way to try to get you to stop. They've posted speed limits. They have attached fines to uh, increased speeds if they catch you doing it. And you're like, oh yeah, they gotta catch me doing it, right? right? And, And so you like to drive fast. And the government's posted these signs and threats of tickets and punishment if you don't stop. But if you're honest, that really hasn't worked for you. I'll pay the fine. I like driving fast. You know where you don't drive fast? You don't drive fast where you know your kids are playing. And you don't drive fast where you know that your spouse jogs every day. You have reined yourself in in those areas. Why? Because of love. When when you understand love, loving God in particular, the rules just kind of fall into place. Man, I love him. I know he loves me. I'm going to comply. I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow him because I know he knows what is best. This whole thing is about love. Now, those that are self-consumed that fall into those kind of five S's, those five selves, those that are self-consumed have a hard time understanding this a little bit. They love self, but loving God is a little bit of a challenge. Now, I spent so much time on this element of the message 
because it's easy for us to understand this when it comes to God. But here's what I need you to see. It's also true about our neighbor. It's all about love. When we consider our neighbor, the people around us, it's really all about leaning into, into this idea that I am called to love my neighbor. And so they might be annoying. <laughs> they might do things I wish they didn't do. They, they might get on my last nerve, but I have to lean into this idea that my faith is all about love. So yeah, I, I don't have to figure out how to love God. He's easy to love. But the guy across the street, the guy down the street, the guy I work with, whatever the case may be, I've got to lean into figuring this out when it comes to him or her. And the follow-up question indicates to me that I think we pegged our expert of law exactly right earlier. Because the follow-up question is, so who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is the one that I am supposed to love? And so Jesus tells a story about a man who's beat up, left for dead on the side of the road. Three people pass by. Two of them are pastors, right? Two of them pass by and one stops to help. And the term, last sermon I preached on this was preached June 14th and it delves more into the story. You can go back online and find that. But here's what I find so interesting. At the beginning of the story, the man asks a specific question. Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And at the end of the story, Jesus answers a completely different question. All right, here's how, how Jesus ends the story. He says, you want to know who is my neighbor? Here's how, what Jesus says at the end. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I find this interesting. This is not the question the man started out asking. It is a subtle but different question. Who is my neighbor? And I hope I'm not being too hard on this guy, but who is my neighbor? The question he originally asked, it might be innocent, but it sounds to me a little bit like legal wrangling, right? That who exactly do I have to love? Who exactly do I have to show kindness to? Who exactly is my neighbor? Tell me the rules. Who should I and who shouldn't I love? And it's how our culture approaches this issue of loving our neighbor, our culture has these rules. If you're a Democrat, if I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican, I don't have to love you. It's the rules, right? If I'm a conservative and you're a liberal, I don't have to love you. It's, it's just an unspoken, unwritten rule, right? If I have means and it's your job to serve me in some capacity, I don't have to love you. It, it is the rules of our culture. If we disagree on pandemic response, it's fine, fine but I don't have to love you. There are these rules that our culture follows, and there's one teensy, teensy little bit of problem for you and for me. The gospel. The gospel says that Jesus came for all people. He came for all genders, all races. In every economic class, he came for all people groups. Here's how the, here's how the apostle Paul says it on the screen. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Overly simple message. You're called to love your neighbor. You are. You're called to love your neighbor regardless of race, gender, politics, and economic status. And this goes for people that you're connected to, 
So there are going to be people that you run across on the road of life, just like in our story, and those people are going to have needs, they're going to need some help, and those people are going to have some baggage, they're going to need a relationship with Jesus, and God made it. I would even like to argue to you that God designed it so that you were traveling the same stretch of road at the same time that they were. I think the point of Jesus' story is if you're traveling the same stretch of road at the same time and you see someone in need, love your neighbor. Love them. Be a good neighbor. That is the point of the story of the Good Samaritan. See, God didn't place you in your family for no reason. God didn't place you in this city for no reason. He didn't place you in your work environment for no reason. He didn't place you in the group that you're in for no reason. Later on at lunch, he didn't give you the waiter that you have or the waitress that you have for no reason. There are people that you're traveling with on this stretch of road. And I think a good place to start this series is to ask and to try to figure out, in terms of the people that I'm on the same stretch of road with, how can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I make a difference in their life? So it's people you're connected to, and then it's people that you're called to. That there are going to be people that you may never meet that you are called to love. I heard uh, one pastor uh, refer to this as your Popeye moment. You, some of you are old enough, you remember the old Popeye cartoons? Right? There, things in, in a Popeye cartoon, things were getting worse and worse and worse. And there came a mo moment in the cartoon where Popeye just had enough. And he says, it's all I can stand, I can stand it no more, right? And he says, every single person has their Popeye moment. Maybe for you, it's when you hear about homelessness or, or when you hear about some other issue. It's like, man, you hear it or you see it on the news and you're like, it, mm, it is all I can stand. I can stand it no more. I can't believe that is happening in our world. God has placed a call on your life. I heard another pastor refer to this as your Nehemiah moment. Nehemiah was in exile, uh, and a remnant had gone back to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed, and they went to rebuild, and they sent word back, and Nehemiah kind of got the word. They said, you are not going to believe the condition of the wall, the wall that provided protection and opportunity. The wall had been destroyed, and the text says Nehemiah sat down and wept. He was so moved, and he went to the king that he was working for, and he asked for permission to return to Jerusalem and to begin to rebuild the walls. The truth is, God has placed some issue or some cause on your heart. A person or group of people, they are on the side of the road, and they need help, and God has placed that inside of you to do that. Be a good neighbor. I know you may never meet them or see them, but be a good neighbor and, and lean into this idea of how to love them and love them well. So let's get back to the question Jesus was trying to answer. The first question was, all right, so let's get legal here, Jesus. Who really is my neighbor? Who, who was my neighbor? And Jesus answers a little bit of a different question, and he says, out of these three guys that saw this man in need, who was the neighbor? See, the question Jesus is asking assumes that God is going to make it clear, that he's gonna place me in situations, he's gonna place me near people, he's gonna lay causes and people on my heart, he is going to make it clear who I am called to love and who I am called to be there for, and a lot of it is just proximity, that we're traveling on the same stretch of road at the same time, and you are in need, I need to be a good neighbor to you. Who was the neighbor assumes I'm supposed to love the people God has placed in my path. And it asks a different question, and here's on the screen for you. This is a different question. 
am I willing to be a good neighbor? Totally different question. Who is the neighbor kind of assumes that let's get legal, figure out who I'm supposed to love, who I'm not supposed to love. Jesus, just make that clear. And this is a question of am I willing in my community, in my work environment, in my family, am I willing to be a good neighbor? Am I willing to cross the street? Am I willing to write the check? Am I willing to stop what I'm doing and serve? I think that one of the challenges facing our culture, uh, and this is not just true in the church, this is just everywhere, is very, very simple. We honestly don't know our neighbors. Um, we, We don't know our neighbors. A study that I saw said that one out of six people cannot name a single one of their neighbors literally don't even know their names. And so we have just seen this happen in our culture, especially over the last year, where we are becoming increasingly disconnected from each other. Think about, we used to have a culture where we walked everywhere, right? We'd walk everywhere and uh, we'd see people on the path and we'd strike up a conversation with them. It mortifies my son when I do this today. Right, because our, our family likes to walk and somebody will walk by, I'm like, hey, how are you doing? You know what? He's like, did you know that person? And I'm like, no, I, I don't know them. He says, you are talking to a stranger. So, well, I'm 45. So we don't want you talking to strangers. You know, it's, it's a weird kind of mixed message. I, I, I get, but you know, now, now we get in the car and we drive everywhere. We used to have these things, and some of you still have these. They, they used to be called front porches, right? Where you'd sit out on the front porch and you would, interact with neighbors as they were coming by. Now we've got privacy fences and backyards and don't talk to me, right? We used to sit down and do meals together and now it tends to be fast food. We are busy and we are disconnected. Like I said, one in six people can't even name one of their neighbors. So it's hard to love. It's hard to love. It's hard to be there for people if you don't even know their name and you don't even know their needs. And I'm not just talking about neighbors, I'm talking about going to work and sitting down at your cubicle and put your headphones on and that's it for the day. You know, I'm done interacting, I'm done talking. Uh, I'm talking about just kind of keeping your head down and not talking to people. And I think a good place for us to start in this sermon series is a commitment to this. Let's during this next three or four weeks, let's just start paying attention better paying attention on the road that we're traveling. Uh, Over the next month, let's commit ourselves to learning our neighbor's name. Let's let's, uh, commit ourselves to asking better questions. Like when the server comes by, instead of just, you exist to serve me and I'm not really called to love you, ask them how they're doing. Ask them how you can pray for them. Ask them if they need anything. Let's listen more and talk less. Let's pay attention. Because I believe that God has you on this stretch of road for a reason. I do. I think he's got you in your family for a reason. He's got you in your work environment for a reason. He's got you in this church for a reason. He's got you in this city for a reason. He's got you in this state for a reason. And he is faithful, right? He's not going to say to us, hey, love your neighbor. You really should love your neighbor and I'm out. Figure it out. No, I don't believe he does that for a minute. I think he is regularly putting people on our path putting people in our environment, putting people near us 
that have needs that we can love. But one of the greatest uh, mistakes that I think we make is uh, we're in our phone, we're in our own world, and we're just not paying attention. So there is a better question than, who is my neighbor, Jesus? Who do I really have to love? Is it the same political group, same geographic? Who do you really call me to love? And I think the point of Jesus' story is, hey, it's going to be pretty clear. It's going to be pretty clear. If you believe I'm sovereign and you believe I have a plan for this and you believe that the people around you are placed for a strategic reason, it's going to be pretty clear. There's a better question than who is my neighbor. And that is, am I willing to be a good neighbor? Am I willing to pay attention? Am I willing to love? Am I willing to write checks? Am I willing to walk across the street? Am I willing to serve in little and big ways to make a difference in the lives of the people around me, and I think it starts with, we're going to talk about this in more detail as the series unfolds, but I think a good starting spot is paying attention, learning names, praying, asking follow-up questions, and listening a little bit more and talking a little bit less. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was uh, the ultimate good neighbor that he saw us in our sin, he saw us disconnected from you, and um, he came to the neighborhood, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for us, so that we can have the relationship we were created to have with you in this life and in the next. Would you help us to um, open our eyes a little bit, to pay better attention, to look at the people around us with with a fresh set of eyes? And would you help us uh, to be good neighbors, uh, to be good to the people around us, the people you have placed on our path, the people you called us to to serve and love? Maybe people we'll never even meet, but people that uh, we're called to love. And uh, there's a whole lot of people also just right in front of us that you're laying uh, at our feet and calling us to love and serve. Help us to do it well, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's receive communion together. It's under your chair. Like I said, a story like the one that Jesus told really only, I think, makes sense when we understand that it is all about love. Love God, love others. We tend to make it a little more complicated than it needs to be. It's leaning into love. And I know it is easy to figure out how to love Jesus. He was and is and will always be perfect. Your neighbor's not. Spoiler alert, you're not either right? (laughs) Your your neighbor could say the same thing about you. And so none of us are perfect, but we want to lean into love and say, man, we got to figure this out. We got to figure out how to love the person that is maybe difficult to love, uh, the person that is challenging to love, the person that we work with that kind of annoys us in some way. We got to lean into love and figure out how to do this well. And Jesus knows something about this because he loved while we were still sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. And that is an amazing truth, that he, he leaned into it and figured out what needed to happen uh, and, fig- and figured out how to show us love. So in the name of Jesus, we, we strive to be like him. His body is given for you. His blood is poured out. May we love the way that he has loved us, uh, that he leaned into it. He didn't run away from it. He leaned into it and he figured it out. May we do 
the exact same thing. And hey, I'm, I'm glad uh, you're here for this series. It's just a, a little three-week series, but next week we're going to look at uh, what God uh, called Israel to do and be in the Old Testament, and then it's kind of mirrored in the New Testament that we are called uh, to be holy, we're called to be different, and that's maybe the greatest thing that we can ever do for our neighbors is to just show a different way. And we're going to kind of talk specifically uh, throughout uh, the epistles uh, in the New Testament, there are specific examples given to each community of, hey, here's what it looks like for you to be different. Here's what it looks like for you to show a different way. And so I think our culture, I think there's some unique opportunities right now of how we can be different. And we're going to talk through that. Uh, and then in the last week of the series, we're going to look through a, a real interesting text uh, where Jesus sends the apostles out and he's uh, telling them to take the gospel into these different towns. And he's actually teaching them about being a good neighbor and how to respond to hospitality. So like one of the things Jesus says to them is, hey, when you enter into a house and someone puts food in front of you, eat it, right? And so just a, I think I might have my son in here for this sermon actually, um, real picky eater, but just a very interesting kind of practical example that, that Jesus is like, hey, when you're being a good neighbor and someone, someone feeds you and they're hospitable to you, uh, you know, essentially Jesus, it, it, in my mind, it's almost like Jesus say, say thank you and now eat, right? Um, and so he gives some real practical advice in that text about beyond that, uh, more, more profound than that. But that was a funny kind of example to me that G even Jesus had to teach, like we teach our kids, hey, we're going over to this person's house. I don't care what they put in front of you. You're eating it, right? Uh, and uh, so uh, we're, I'm excited to continue to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor. Really glad you're here. Let's lean into love and figure out how to love the people around us well. God bless you guys.